2: Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Dory Freer, And I'm Kate Spencer. And we're not experts.
1: We're just two friends
2: who like to talk a lot about serums. And this is technically a mini episode, but we're doing things a little differently this week.
1: This is probably a, more of like a special episode, an emergency episode, a pandemic episode, Whatever you want to call it. We're talking about coronavirus today. COVID-19. We have received emails from listeners about it. We are currently also living it ourselves. Um, We don't have it. Oh, gosh. No, I'm sorry. That was not clear. Uh, But I mean, for example, I just received an email while we were recording today about my children's schools closing for many weeks. Things like that are happening. And we know they're happening to all of our listeners on different levels. So we wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and to do that, because not only are we not, we're not experts about many things. We're certainly not experts about pandemics. So no. we we can't even like pretend to be experts. about. Pandemics. I am having a hard time saying epidemiology. Although you just I said just it. nailed it. <laughs> but every time I go to say it, I have this voice in my head that's like, is it going to be right? <laughs> um, it is a, it's a mouthful. It's a big word. Yeah. I like it, though. Um, but we we reached out to some people um, and have interviewed them for this episode. So you'll be hearing from all sorts of experts um, about uh, this topic from a variety of different angles. Yeah. And you'll be hearing from two listeners who are currently
2: under quarantine in Italy. Yeah. And we're very grateful that they reached out to us and were willing to be interviewed. Um and you know we also just kind of want to broach the subject that we know that doing a podcast about self-care and skin care and um things that could be seen as frivolous in a time of a very serious pandemic um could be seen as superficial and we're very mindful of that um but we also understand that the show is self-care for a lot of people
1: and you know what it's also self-care for us to do it totally and we're hoping and sorry to interrupt you i just no. i don't know if i've ever thought about this show that way where i was just like i'm gonna be home with my kids for a while i'm gonna i need to do this podcast yeah it gives me a lot of peace and so we're pleasure. gonna keep
2: doing it so kate can stay sane <laughs> that's this is only <laughs> for me um no i feel the same way um but, you know, I I anticipate that we anticipate that, that the tone of things might shift and we're kind of heading into uncharted territory here. So we are open to your suggestions and feedback. And yeah, we just, um, we're here for you.
1: Yeah. And also, we have no idea how things are going to go. No. So bear with us if we have to do this remotely from each other if we don't have guests for many weeks. We're we're also trying to maintain a sense of consistency on the show, but like, who the heck knows?
2: (sighs) So Kate, how are you feeling right now about coronavirus and its
1: attendant um, complications? Um I think I'm feeling the way many of our listeners have expressed us that they're feeling I'm having a lot of Anxiety, ranging from my own family's health to my community, to you know the underserved populations here in Los Angeles. I'm thinking about you know, for example, my my children's um, school district is closing. I am very fortunate in that I'm my husband and I are able to work out you know our own schedules so that we can be with them and we can provide food for them. There are a lot of families that's not the case and I'm I'm just thinking about the way this impacts not just my immediate family but also so so many people in so many different ways and I have a lot of just fear and and worry about everybody that's a lot of people to be worrying about but you know I mean this is there's just so many levels in which that this is going to hurt people in all sorts of different ways. Not not even considering health. You know, I'm thinking about job security and food security and home security and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, here, here's the tangent. I'm also like, is my therapist going to keep having appointments? Because I'm supposed to go next week. Of course, I'm worried about my parents yeah. and the health of the elderly, my neighbors. I mean, it's just, it's on and on. You know, and listeners know, we're thinking about all these things. I mean, how, how about you? Yeah, I mean...
2: I personally, you know, I feel like I've been anxious about this for a few weeks now. Um, And sometimes to a point where some of the people around me were sort of dismissive um, of my anxiety, not, you know, not, not exactly dismissive, but just sort of like, okay, like, that's, that's weird. Um, And, you know, it's not, it's not like I needed to be proven right. But it is sort of sobering to see all these people kind of come around. Um, That's not really answering your question. But it's just something I've been thinking about. And also, how now I'm navigating this and just trying to figure out, how life is going to be. And that's like a very stressful thing right now. Um, in terms of like my family, um, you know, my husband is at work today. It's, we're recording this on Friday the 13th. Um, his show was, was still shooting today. So, you know, that is also a source of things, some anxiety for me. I don't know what he's being exposed to on that set. um, and my son, Henry, was was also sick the last week and a half. So I feel like I got a little bit of a taste of what isolate social isolation with a baby looks like because we couldn't take him to the park. We couldn't we couldn't really take him anywhere. Um and it gets old pretty quickly. <laughs> um so I don't know, you know, working from home is going to be interesting. I don't know how much I'm going to get done. I haven't historically been able to get much done working from home. Um, so that is a concern of mine. Um, I'm grateful that we, our job is something that we can do while this is all going on. Like if we are not allowed to record in person anymore, like we can record remotely um and since this is our livelihood like that's huge and yeah. i know a lot of most people are not in that position especially people who work in creative industries and work for themselves so i feel really fortunate and grateful for that um my parents are another source of stress they definitely had not been taking this super seriously i think until very recently and i think a lot of people um just anecdotally, people I've talked to, it's the same kind of situation. I mean, my parents went to two Broadway shows in the opera last weekend.
1: I mean, my dad is like me. Uh, our anxiety yes. is the same. And so he was supposed to come visit next week. And like uh, many weeks ago, he was like, I'm not, I can't, I'm not coming. He knew. And I kind of was like, Dad. Come on, right? So he he knew, he knew. but yes, I, I many people I, I hear expressing challenges with their parents.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just it, it just feels like our society is not equipped for this in a way that is scary, and I'm trying to kind of just take it day by day, while also, like you said, thinking about like thinking about the less fortunate, um, thinking about other things that we can do to kind of
1: mitigate. What's been going on?
2: I'm rambling.
1: No, it's. <sighs> I mean, it's. It's all happening in real time, right? Yeah. So, every day is different, and it brings up a lot of different challenges. And you're. I mean, who None of us know what we're doing here. Yeah, we're all just trying our best. <sighs> we are just trying our best, and um, we would love to keep hearing from you. Yeah, look, keep, by all means. About what we are experiencing um, with COVID nineteen, but also, it is okay if you want to call in and talk about butt care with us. Totally, we still have to take care of our butts. <laughs> well, we do, and like I do, feel like the toilet paper hoarding is somewhat like is a topic we can address on this podcast.
2: Everyone should get bidets.
1: You know, I have seen many people saying that, and actually, someone tweeted at us about how we were on the bidet train.
2: I mean, we were early on that bidet train. Yeah.
1: If we all had bidets right now, there yeah. wouldn't be this a might sold be maybe this will paper. be the
2: thing that like this is this will be the tipping point for for America to start using bidets. Big bidet is really going to make a <laughs> but big toilet paper is going down. They're literally in the shitter. Yeah.
1: Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Look, you gotta you gotta be able to make uh, jokes during tough true, times, but it's true. I do think, as you mentioned earlier, Dory. Like, while oftentimes self ideas of self care practices are positioned as frivolous all the time, yeah, and certainly in more these huge stressful global crises, even more so. But you, ha- it's so important right now to be taking care of our mental health in whatever way we can, our emotional health, staying, finding ways to have human connection, even if we can't physically be together so
2: you know i also just want to shout out the forever 35 facebook group because there have been a lot of really good posts in there about kind of like things to do if you have to be at home and taking care of your mental health and um just like i really like our community so that's a it's a good place to just kind of hang out yeah you know what hang out online hang out online and
1: thank you to the mods who are holding it down Yes, I'm doing and such you such a know, great job especially during this time.
2: Thank you for reminding me because I keep meaning to shout out the mods of our subgroups. Get go on who are also amazing yeah. and as a member of several subgroups I I mostly lurk but sometimes I sometimes comment. Um you know I know that those mods are also working super hard to keep those groups going and make sure things stay civil and um I just wanted to say we see you yeah thank you thank you all right so we are going to kick things off with an interview with a very smart person <laughs> to put it <laughs> mildly to put it mildly um her name is caroline bucky and she's an epidemiologist and we got to ask her all sorts of questions about coronavirus and its spread so here is caroline <laughs> We are so excited to be talking to Caroline Bucky, who is Associate Director and Associate Professor at the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics in the Department of Epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Did I get all of your titles?
3: <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry, it's quite a
2: mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the measures that have been put into place in the U.S. Um, in the last couple of days, we're speaking to you on Friday, March 13th, um, you know, a lot of schools have started shutting down, people have, are encouraged to practice social distancing. What is your, I guess, analysis of the measures that have been put in place so far? Do you think they're enough
3: to stop the spread? Um, well, I, I think that they are coming, um, I think we should stop stop um, large gatherings immediately. I think we need to all practice social distancing to the extent that we can. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will be able to, but for, pe- for people who can work from home um, and so forth, I think we absolutely have to start taking those steps now. One of the reasons that um, we are so concerned is that the US is quite behind in terms of surveillance. So we don't have very much testing capacity so if you feel like you have a cough and a fever and you go in to be tested there's a likelihood that you won't we won't be able to test you and so that case count doesn't get logged and what that means is that we don't actually know the scale of the problem so to that extent you know everywhere that we've started testing we've started seeing cases which suggests to me that there is um, substantial community-wide transmission across many regions in the US and so we have to take this seriously and start social distancing from now. And that can be on different scales, right? Like we can do um, it's not necessarily saying that uh, nobody should leave their house, uh, but certainly starting to take sensible measures, trying to work from home, trying to limit the use of public transport and certainly not going to large gatherings of people. Oh, go ahead. Kate. I, I was,
1: I'm just curious If you can speak to kind of the how we can be prepared while without um, veering into panic. It seems like that that is a very fine line that many of us are having a hard time walking right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been speaking to my um, sisters and friends and loved ones and you know, there is a, this is likely going to be quite a long drawn out affair and so it's important to take care of our mental health and not to panic. The important thing to remember is that most healthy younger adults and children will not be severely impacted if they get infected. Um, So So while it's not completely benign, one thing that I'm thankful for is that our kids will almost certainly not get severely ill. So we don't have to worry about kids, although they can transmit the virus. So we do need to to be aware um, of social distancing for them. So for most people, the important thing is to remember that it's not it's not necessarily going to land you in hospital, although it might. The bigger concern is that a lot of our loved ones and our communities are made up of elderly people, and the death rate and the um, incidence of severe and hospitalized cases rises quite steeply after the age of 60. So that means that the social distancing measures and the care that we're taking um, to protect our communities is not necessarily cause for panic for our own children and for ourselves if we are adults or um, healthy. It's to think about protecting our elderly populations, our vulnerable populations. And then the other main thing is that if the epidemic happens very, very quickly, like there's a very high peak and it happens quickly, it means that our hospitals might get overwhelmed. So they'll get overwhelmed in terms of being able to care for COVID-19 patients, um, but also then we will be um, short with respect to caring for patients that need regular care anyway. You know, people with normal uh, needs in the healthcare system. So. So the overall uh, risks for individuals vary, but for healthy adults and for children, the risks of severe disease and death are low. Um, this is really about thinking through our health capacity and um, our vulnerable groups.
2: What? How would you suggest addressing this with some of these vulnerable populations? I know anecdotally, I've had so many conversations with friends who say, you know, my parents just aren't taking this seriously. Um,
3: yeah, how mine do we, aren't either. Yeah, how do we address that? So, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard. I mean, I think um, sometimes numbers don't don't hit home um, with people, right? So even though we can explain that the the fatality rate is significantly 10 times higher than the flu, um, it's sometimes hard to get people to take this seriously. Um, I think just continuing to have these conversations as the epidemic unfolds and taking steps with our own parents and, and loved ones, and neighbors to make sure that they are prepared. So just to put in place that they have a plan if they feel sick, if they get sick, that they have groceries stocked up, that they've thought about their prescription med needs over the next couple months and they're in good shape, um, that they know who to call if they're feeling worried, and that we've set up kind of the networks and support structures around them um, that they might need if if they start more concerned or if they they get sick. For my own parents, um, you know, I've said to them, look, uh, this, this is, I understand that that you don't feel worried about this, but for me, please, can you take this a little seriously? So, um, however we can try to talk and communicate with our, with our elderly friends and loved ones, I think the better. And, um, keeping them in the loop and keeping communicating with them. There are a lot of isolated elderly people who are alone. And so we need to think about our communities.
1: Can I ask maybe the most basic question?
3: What? Sure. I-
1: what is... COVID-19. There's so much dialogue sure. and kind of misinformation and it's like the flu and it's not like the flu. You know, I mean there's just so much stuff swirling.
3: Yeah. Is there a way to yeah. to
1: explain it in layperson's terms for our for our sure. audience so that we all have a clear understanding of it?
3: Sure. So, um, this virus, it's from the family of coronaviruses. So there's a group of them, and some of them circulate in the states normally, and they are less, less severe than this one. But that's the family of viruses that this one comes from. The name of the virus is SARS. So it's SARS, SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2. That's the name of the virus. COVID is coronavirus-induced disease. So that's the name of the disease that you get if you have contracted the virus. So the virus's name is SARS-CoV-2. The name of the disease is COVID-19. Um, and so it's like as how whole, HIV causes AIDS. Right. And um, and, as, and the viruses are from a family of viruses called the coronaviruses. And they're called that because when you look at them with a high resolution microscope, it looks like a, they have the shape of a sort of a crown under the microscope. So they're not related to influenza viruses, but they are transmitted in the same way. So influenza uh, is a particular, is another type of virus. They're both spread um, through droplets and uh, through airborne, you know, close contacts. So um, they're spread in the same way. And I think some of the conflu- confusion is because we, we tend to classify a whole range of diseases as causing flu-like illness, mm. Influenza-like illness, and so it's easy to think that this is a, um, you know, that it's all one thing. But in fact, this is a distinct virus. It's a new virus that our that our population has not seen before, and that's part of the reason that it's so alarming is because we don't have any pre-existing immunity to it. Whereas for flu, you know, we we have a vaccine, and we see flu every every year, Um, and so it's a, a different a different kind of epidemiology. Is this virus spreading
2: faster and farther than other viruses? Like is the rate of transmission noticeably faster or is it just that we don't have these immunities built up and that's why it's kind of turned into this (laughs) pandemic?
3: So, um, epidemiologists measure this um, through something called the re- basic reproduction number, or the r naught, which is um, defined as the average number of cases a new case in a population will lead to. So, if I'm infected and I come into a... Um, A population of people I will on average spread this virus to two to three other people and then they'll spread it to two to three and so forth which is how you get exponential growth Um, so that R naught number that basic reproduction number varies a lot but for example measles has a much higher R naught than than this virus but flu has a lower R naught than this virus so we think it's more transmissible than flu but in terms of absolute in, a, in absolute terms of how quickly and how rapidly it can spread, it's, it's within the range of some of our more transmissible pathogens, but not as high as measles, for example.
2: Okay, that's really good to know. Um, what else do you think our listeners should know about the virus from an epidemi- epidemiological perspective?
3: Um, so I think that it's important. So apart from the personal things people should start doing, like social distancing, hand hygiene, um, you know, self-quarantining, self-isolating if they have symptoms, um, and and making a plan for themselves, their loved ones, and their community. Um, I think the important thing to know is that this epidemic, if we just consider the U.S., right now, we're just getting started. And it's likely that this is going to um, last for several months. Um, So people need to also take care of themselves and and not panic and um, get exercise. You can go outside if you can, um, you know, stay away from people who look sick and crowds, but you can get get exercise and, and take care of yourself. And then I think one of the biggest concerns that we have is that there's a whole bunch of misinformation out there. There are a lot of us who are epidemiologists who, frankly, don't usually like to be in the public eye mm. because we're scientists and that's how we are. Um, but but we really feel like there's a lot of bad information. So finding trusted sources of information is really important and making sure that you're not letting Um, kind of trying to stay impervious to the barrage of misinformation around. So, you know, just limit news that that is not from a reputable source.
2: For the layperson, what are what are some reputable sources of this information that you would stand by? Uh,
3: Well, I think the CDC um, is has information that everybody can can. Understand, and that is very helpful here. Uh, the WHO is um, does does also release information about health, um, but CDC has a good uh, source of in- it's a good source of information in the US context. If you're more on the science nerdy side, then. Um, you know, on Twitter, there's there's an amazing online dialogue between scientific research groups trying to make sense of the literature and the data as it comes out. Um, and again, I would just say, uh, you know, there are better and worse ones to follow. Um, of course, I'm biased, but I think the CCDD, uh, the Center for Communicable Dynamics, is is a good one. That's us. And then there's John Hopkins. Johns Hopkins has a fantastic um a group of scientists working on this. Um, and, and, you know, U, UW, um, University of Washington is doing great stuff. So there's a bunch of research groups as well for people that are interested in, in the science. But for the lay audience, I would say stick with something like CDC for your kind of day-to-day information. That is really helpful. It
1: is really helpful. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Um, sure. Thank
2: you so much, um, Dr. Bucky. This was, it was really great to talk to you. And I I know our audience is going to be really interested in what you had to say.
3: Okay, well, stay safe. Good luck.
2: Thank
1: you. Thank you. Same to okay. you. Take
0: care. Bye. Bye. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: You know, the weather's getting warmer. if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com/forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q u i n c e dot com/forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com/forever35.
2: Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into
1: summer. So we were so honored to have listeners reach out to us who have been going through this experience in Italy, and we were able to talk to two of them. So the first listener we're going to hear from is named Eleonora, and she is living in northern Italy and spoke to us by phone a few days ago.
2: We are so Excited to be talking to one of our Forever 35 listeners, Eleonora Grimaldi, who lives near Bologna um, in kind of the center north of Italy. And she reached out to us to tell us about what life has been like in Italy in these days of COVID-19. So thank you so much for uh, speaking with us, Eleonora.
4: Thank you for having me. I am so, so excited. I'm a long-time listener, and it's such a privilege to me to be talking to you right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um,
2: So, you said that you're not in the north of Italy. You're not near Milan, or kind of where the the epicenter of the Italian outbreak has been. So, can you tell us what life has been like for you over the last couple of weeks, and how things have changed? Uh,
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, So, let's Say that um, since a week or so uh, we were in a semi-lockdown situation, mm-hmm. so it was bad, bad but not quite that bad. But since yesterday we are in kind of a total lockdown situation, so we only are permitted to go outside from home to uh, you know buy groceries, to buy medicine, and if we really really need need it. Mm. Uh, so it's not easy, you know, especially if you have, you know, loved ones, relatives, something you have to really, really do. Uh, for example, my grandparents, I really need to see them. They need care. So, mm-hmm. you know. That, that must
1: be really scary. How are you communicating with family members who you don't live with?
4: Um, actually, I live with my parents right now. And I am trying to connect with the relatives who don't live uh, here near me. And my grandparents through, you know, social networks, you know, Skype. I am actually taking lessons from my university through Skype and through online courses. So, you know, that kind of helps. Uh, but I really, really miss my, you know, my social time meeting with people, my friends, my real-life lessons, university, going outside. <laughs> you you don't really know that much how you uh, you can value something until you don't have it. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, it's not easy. It's really not easy. And in all of this, I must say, I am kind of privileged in a way that I can't take time for myself for my self-care, I have that kind of privilege and many, many people in Italy, especially now, they don't have it. Mm -hmm. Many people right now are on the first line working. Uh, I am thinking about healthcare professionals especially, but not only them, obviously. They have zero time for themselves right now. Uh, They they are in a burnout situation. I really do feel for them.
2: What advice would you give people who are either under lockdown or about to be under lockdown?
4: Okay, so I really hope this could be useful for you, especially listeners in the U.S. Uh, I am really afraid this is going to spread uh, even further. So my advice would probably be not to panic, um, not to go uh, piling stuff in supermarkets, you know, uh, that was a huge problem, stockpiling in Italy. So please do not do that. Um, and another thing, please take care of yourself. Uh, whatever is your self-care method, skin care, yoga practice, reading a good book, a novel, listening to music, um, keep in your contacts with people you love. Uh, this, this is so important. Not losing your mind.
2: What are you doing in particular to not lose your mind?
4: So, uh, I noticed that um, skincare has become more and more important to me in this period. Uh (laughs) And and I also have to say um, thank you for your podcast, because podcasting has become a way of self-care for me, listening to you and to other Italian podcasts, for example. it really helps. Oh, well, thank you.
1: What is the um, atmosphere like? I know you said you're you're quarantined right now with your parents. Um, what has the atmosphere been like in Italy? And and what do you hope? Um, gosh, how do I phrase this? What do you hope <laughs> in 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 you speaking to our listeners? Um, what do you hope people know about? The experience of Italians right now.
4: Well, um, probably my most recurring thought now is that we are living an h- historical moment in Italy right now, for sure. But um, possibly at a global level, if I may say so, I really think our society will be different in a couple of months or so. Um, when when I look around myself here in Italy, I. Th- see that um, a new way of socializing uh, is now a thing Um, people are more responsible in a way and most of all there's a new way of thinking, you know working, uh, for example at a distance working from home that was not very common in Italy before and now it is becoming more and more common in our society and most of all um, you know, a Economic changes. Uh, I've noticed that a lot of workers are on strike right now because they are becoming more and more aware of safety measures at work because they obviously don't want to get ill. They don't want to get their families ill. So this is even socially really important. I also I also hope that the importance of healthcare, of national healthcare in particular, um, will be even more and more. you know, a given in our society. We, we also take it for granted. But now I don't think that will be the case anymore. Yeah. yeah.
1: And ha- and you mentioned you're taking online classes. Are you a student? And were you before the yeah. outbreak, were you going to a university?
4: Yes, yes, I am actually a student. Um, I will actually have my final dissertation in 10 days or so. Still don't know the, the exact date. But uh, even my dissertation will be online at this point. Uh, obviously, we cannot go to university like physically, so uh, that will be it. Uh, it's kind of sad because I won't have the chance to, you know, share my final studying moment with my family, with my friends, my coursemates. But in a way, that's still cool, I guess. Uh, we are the first in history, at least in Italy, to get a degree online—you uh, know, an official degree by the state and, and, and so on. So that that has its bright side in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you you are, have such an optimistic yeah attitude that I know we're we're we have to. you have to you feel like you have to, huh?
4: Yes, yes. I I, I think I have a responsibility um towards my community towards my country right now you know we probably we downplayed the risk too much before and now we we have to kind of have an optimistic overview of things you know
5: mm-hmm. and how long are you expecting we are
1: how long do you expect to be quarantined in your home
4: um so um for sure until the early days of may of april sorry Maybe the third, but that's kind of optimistic in a way. Um, I think uh, all of April will still be a critical, a critical month.
1: And we should clarify for our listeners: you're, you do not have uh, coronavirus, correct? You are currently
4: not no, no I, I, I'm fine. You're yes. fine. We are we are uh, obliged by law now to stay at home as much as possible. We all are basically quarantined, even if we don't have any symptoms. Uh, beforehand, it was only for people with symptoms. They were obviously obliged to stay at home. But now, uh, you know, the situation got worse very quickly. So for, for reasons of safety, now we all have to stay at home.
1: Hmm. Well, we're glad that you're safe, and we we are so appreciative that you reached yeah, out you to know. us and are taking the time to talk to us, as Dory likes to say, across the pond. Yes,
2: <laughs> and and we hope that you stay, you you continue to stay healthy and safe, and we'll be thinking of you.
1: Yeah, please give us please give us an update.
4: I really, really wish you all the best. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. If I may take the chance, um, it's been. Kind of like three weeks since I don't see my boyfriend. So I would like to say hi to him because he knows I am on your show right now. I have told him. May I please say to him, ciao, ciao, Luca. Ciao, ti amo. Ciao, Luca. That's got (laughs) to be,
1: it's got to be really, really hard not having interactions with the people in your life that you're so used to seeing that's got it. That's something we don't think about until it's happening. And I, I can't, I can't yet imagine, and we might have to imagine pretty soon.
4: Absolutely. It's really, really hard. Um, I don't want to, you know, give anxiety to, to you, to you guys in the U.S. Um, I really know what it feels like. I'm a very anxious person, but, but you know, uh, this kind of stuff happens. So we have to take, uh, everything we can for the better. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you again. I just, I'm, I'm just thinking about Chao Luca.
1: I know. Mm-hmm. I've thought about that so much Ciao Luca. Since we, we interviewed her. Yeah.
2: That must be so hard being isolated from your loved ones like yes, that. It,
1: yeah. It's gotta be and yeah. your whole and so many different aspects of your community. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: So, we spoke to another listener in Italy um, named Julie, who lives about an hour north of Venice and has two kids. And here is what Julie had to say
1: Julie is an American living in northern Italy. She's a Forever 35 listener, and she sent us an email because she is currently quarantined with her family and offered to be interviewed. And we're so thrilled that she's joining us today. So, Julie. Welcome to the show. We wish it was under better circumstances, but we're so grateful for your time.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: So where in Italy do you live?
5: Um, So my family lives near Aviano Air Force Base. We are affiliated with it um, in a small town called Sedile, but we are about an hour north of Venice. And we should
1: clarify, you and your husband are Americans living in Italy with your children, correct?
5: Yes, I have a six and three-year-old.
1: Oh boy. And you mentioned that you have, you've been quarantined with your family for a while now, right? Could you kind of tell us what the state of things are currently?
5: We are in quarantine where we need to stay inside of our house. And we have a special permit to have on our person if we leave the house to get groceries or if you need to go to work, um, or having a medical emergency, and that's it. And even the grocery store has to be the closest grocery store to your house, and you have to go alone. You can't bring your kids. And in the grocery store, you have to be a meter apart from everyone else. Wow. That's, so it, that's it's a lot. It's
2: surreal. So tell us, um, you, know, you you first emailed us on March... Third. Um, and, you know, one thing that we were really interested in is you said, <clears throat> excuse me, you said Italy had no prep time. So everything is kind of evolving in real time and was pretty much a messy series of half measures. Um, and then you said Americans have time to prep. And I'm not meaning running to Target and buying canned food and water, I'm meaning emotional prep so you don't lose your. Fucking mind. So, can you talk to us a little bit about emotional prep and kind of what you would suggest for people who could potentially be under the same restrictions that you're under now?
5: Yes. Um, So, I think if you, well, it's hard because I feel like it depends on if you end up being quarantined and you are working from home, if you're both quarantined, but I feel like regardless, more than um, stocking up on food, which of course is important, but as of now, we haven't, there's no shortage of food. We are still allowed to get food. Um, I think the emotional toll it's going to take is simply, you are going to be stuck in your house. You're going to, if you have kids, you're going to be stuck with your kids. You're not going to be able to see anyone else, you know, so Cutting out any activities, any time for play dates or seeing your friends. So I think um, just as you're preparing for that, thinking about getting supplies to keep your kids busy, coming up with a plan as to how you and your partner, if you do have kids, are going to navigate that. Um, One thing that we are doing is pretty much tag teaming um, where. My husband is still working. He hasn't been quarantined because um, he's a physician. But the second he gets home, he's giving me a break from the kids. And on the weekends, we're taking turns. We're cutting out family time. You know, there's no reason for all four of us to be together right now. It's really just survival, making sure we feel fresh. We're able to be better parents, better partners, because it's, the burnout is real. I definitely hit a wall yesterday after three weeks of this where I thought I was doing fine. And then like my daughter bumped me in the eye and I like started sobbing (laughs) and it didn't even hurt. (laughs) It was just, you know, like kind of like it had just been a long day. Um, So it definitely, it will catch up with you. So I think just in that way, that's big. And then I think another thing that I keep reminding myself throughout this and I'm reminding my kids is why we're doing this because, um, we're not really at risk. You know, we're young, we're healthy. The kids are young and healthy. Uh, luckily we aren't in, we don't have our parents here, which has been hard being in a foreign country without support, but now I don't have to worry about them as far as, Like if Italy is built on grandparents and all the grandparents pick up the kids from school, everyone goes to lunch at their grandparents house. And those are the people we're protecting right now. And whenever we get really frustrated, I just remind my kids that our dear beloved neighbor across the street is the one that we're doing this for. She's old. She has respiratory issues. And, you know, we just have to keep that in mind that we're doing this for the common good. We're not doing it. You know, we just like, we can't think about ourselves. And that that helps, it does. What kind of things are you
1: doing to kind of maintain your mental health and your emotional health? I know you mentioned in your email to us that last week you locked yourself in the bathroom and took a bath. Do you have any thoughts or advice on simple things people can do, people who are quarantined at home um, can do to kind of maintain a sense you know or a sense of normalcy a sense of calm amidst all the chaos
5: yes um well first I have to a disclaimer I'm I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom or a homeschooling mom this is definitely you know I'm fine but that wasn't my like I don't have lots of craft ideas of those things I feel like I'm really flailing at that stuff right now but I do think people like me who are sort of like not being a stay at home mom by choice right now. um, Two big things. One is to make a schedule in the morning for you and your kids. And even if like, we really don't even stick to the schedule, but one thing I always have on there is TV. And I used to be pretty militant about screen time and uh, you know, you got to let it go during this time. Another is um, just keep reminding yourself that you have nowhere to be. I'm like a, you know, we're always like rushing about. I'm definitely a doer. I like to stay busy. And um, it took me at least a week of school closures to really grasp that we have nowhere to be, which is horrifying, Um, but also it kind of took the edge off of like messes and you know, like, I don't need to rush them to get their school clothes on. And if they ask to make pancakes, I never want to because it takes time and it's messy. And now I'm like, well, I guess we can. And like yesterday, my three year old spilled a pound of dried quinoa on the floor, (laughs) which is like literally the best thing to spill. (laughs) (laughs) At first, I was like, what is this? I've never seen something so tiny. (laughs) Like, are these mustard seeds? And it was quinoa. It was like the worst mess. And I think normally I would have just been like, you know, freaked out. And instead I took a deep breath and I was like, okay, like I have a month to clean it up. Like I can't even leave my house. (laughs) So I'm just trying to slow down. And I'm also trying to have the kids clean up their messes. Like usually I I threaten like you have to clean up your mess or you don't get to do this and then you know eventually we have to do this cuz we have to go somewhere and now it's like no you actually have to clean up your mess cuz you've nowhere to go
1: Can you go outside? I know you mentioned that you're you've been asked to stay in your home. What kind of outside time do people get or are is that not allowed?
5: Um yes, we are allowed to go outside and Thankfully, like I live in a pretty small house, um, one bathroom, um, not a big living space, but we have a great yard and I'm so thankful for it. So we can be in the yard and I'm not, I don't want to speak to leaving the yard. I, I think you can go on walks alone. Um, but it's a little iffy right now um it's definitely feeling like a police state people are being arrested for being out um without a reason uh for being in you know a group of like not being by yourself um leaving your town so i i you have to stick to your yard it's, wow i know <laughs> it's it's crazy I, I don't know how the us will handle it um, as far as those aspects go, it'll be. I'm definitely watching and hoping for the best.
2: What is the general mood amongst your friends there, and kind of how are you all supporting each other?
5: So, I. It's a good question. Um, overall. Italy I've been like very moved like tonight um so it's 7 15 here at six they had this like decree for everyone in Italy to open their windows and play instruments oh god I'm gonna cry I know and it was um just a show of solidarity that even if we can't be together we can um you know still have our humanity and so we went out on our porch and our street we only heard a tuba no trombone and it was i think it was from two houses down and i know who the man is he's an old man and he was playing the italian national anthem oh god yeah we're crying here in california (laughs)
1: wow that is crazy that's so interesting that they
5: they did that oh boy And I I don't I don't see that happening in the U.S. I hope, but I don't know. Um, another thing is there is this you know social media helps in these situations. Um, like all the kids were encouraged to draw rainbows and write uh, "Andrà tutto bene," which means um, "We're going to be okay," and tape them to the windows. So we did that today. My daughter and I did. Jesus. And um I think uh one thing I just learned about was this app Marco Polo, which oh, yes. I about and I just kind of was like, I don't understand it. Like, why does anyone need to watch me talk? But now I have started using it because I, you know, and I'm 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 a writer, I am alone a lot, I don't necessarily always think I need a ton of human interaction, but now I'm like, oh, I love seeing my friends' faces and My kids are able to talk to people too. And I think that's great. Um, Also, because like talking on the phone or FaceTime is really hard with the time difference because I just never have the right time to talk to people or my kids are interrupting me. So that's really helped. I can just leave like a 30 minute little video. My friends can watch it when they're available. They can send them back to me. I can watch that. And so that's been a surprising thing that I just discovered this week.
1: Love Marco Polo. Yeah, that's really cool.
5: Yeah, did everybody know about this? I think I just didn't. I thought I thought it seemed redundant. And now I get it. I learned about it from Kate. <laughs> I'm a big fan, although I, I have to take breaks from it because
1: it becomes a little all consuming. But I have heard people talk about how they're using it during this pandemic and crisis. And I, I think it definitely is useful for connecting. Um, I'm curious before we let you go, Julie, what what kind of things have you seen in your community in terms of helping? more vulnerable populations um i know you have a, a lot of elderly people um or any anyone who might not be able to to help themselves have you seen any kind of community action or is there anything that
5: italy is doing um on that i'm i'm not entirely sure i know that um you know i'm i'm a foreigner so i don't I don't know everyone in my community um but one thing I did was I'm strangely like in with the retiree community because a lot of them are my husband's patients and <laughs> I go to lunches with them cuz I basically have an AARP lifestyle right now <laughs> and um so I emailed them all and I you know let them know if you have a grocery list, please email it to me. I will go to the grocery store and bring you your groceries because um, I know I I couldn't imagine being at risk. Um, so that's what I did, and then you know I think just individuals are probably thinking along those lines. But it is hard. Like I I watch my neighbors. Like today, a neighbor was out with her son, and my daughter was out, and she's like, "Can can he come over and play?" And I'm just like, "No," you know. Mm-hmm. So. I, I don't know. Um, the, the quarantine's new. We're only on day five of it. But I do think it's something to continue to keep in mind because I think everyone is going to be devastated by this in different ways. You know, some levels are just missing that vacation you really wanted to take or not getting to do the Boston Marathon. But in other people, it's like complete financial ruin. And I do think we need to keep brainstorming how to at least help on a community level. And, um, you know, even when you're, if you're still allowed out of your house and buying a bunch of food, buying a bunch of food for the food bank too, because they're going to need it. Yeah, that's a big one.
2: Um, Julie, is there anything else you think our listeners should know either about your experience or what to expect um, that we haven't touched on? Oh, man. Um
5: I think one um, little thing is to come up with some songs for uh, like to pump you up and to uh, either like jump around to to play when you're all picking up toys, Um, just trying to keep the mood up, keep your energy up. Uh, Like like I said, I'm not like super stay at home mom with a whole bunch of activity. If anything, like, it overwhelms me. But um, I do think keeping active, trying to get everybody to expel some energy, whether it's like running around the house, keep those endorphins up and try to just keep talking to each other. um, Keep your spirits up and remind yourself why we're doing this when it feels like it really sucks because it's going to um, and it's okay to admit it. Like, I don't think we need to take this perspective like, oh, it's good time with our families. And like, it's going to it's going to suck, but it's okay. We're doing it for the greater good. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older
2: So, we have been thinking a lot about anxiety in the time of coronavirus and we know our listeners have been thinking a lot about this too. So, we decided to talk to Dr. Yelena Ketsmanovich, who goes by Dr. K, who is a CBT expert and she went through a lot of techniques and methods that people can use to help mitigate their anxiety during this time. So, here is Dr. K. We are so happy to be talking to uh, Dr. Yelena Ketsmanovich, who is the founder and director of the Arlington DC uh, Behavior Therapy Institute, or ABTI. Um, And she's going to be talking to us today about managing anxiety in the time of coronavirus. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. K, which is how she, this is, that's what you go by, right?
6: That's how I go by. Yes. uh
2: Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, So, you know, we we asked our listeners for some of their biggest anxieties around coronavirus. Um, Excuse me. And I'm just going to read a few of them. And then I'm hoping you can kind of broadly address, you know, you don't have to address the specific anxieties, but kind of just to understand what people are Mm -hmm. anxious about. um, And then the best way to kind of manage that. Um, Absolutely. So here we go, being asymptomatic and infecting the elderly slash vulnerable people around me, Um, Mm -hmm. global hysteria resulting in dangerous behavior, shortages of food, medicine, gas, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm immunocompromised and so are two of my kids. I'm pregnant and worried about possible preterm labor or four C-section if infected. Um, Mm -hmm. Mental health while cooped up at home my child and her safety my job doesn't offer paid leave not being able to get professional help because of it especially for my anxiety older family getting it because healthy adults aren't being proactive Um, the effect on our economy and travel industries um and then one person also was concerned about the eventual lockdown living in a rural area already and not having access to fresh food and supplies so that, that should just kind of give you a picture of where people's heads are at right now.
6: Yes, yes. And it's very consistent with, you know, what we've been hearing uh, in therapy. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I would say about three weeks ago, barely any of our clients, or of our patients mentioned corona or concerns around that, even, you know, clients where we would expect they would oh, uh, wow. So to call it like o- with OCD contamination, OCD or health anxiety, and and then two weeks ago, everybody was mentioning it. You know, it it, it came on really suddenly. I think there was you know a public consciousness at once. It was everywhere, and in uh, in DC area at least uh, where I live and practice, you know, it was pretty much end of last week and this week when major shutdowns started. And you know, I think for people they were kind of. Putting it, you know, in the back of their mind, it's not so bad. You know, we, mm. we do that, you know, which is generally a resilient thing to have psychologically to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll worry about it when it comes to, you know, to my doorstep. Yeah. Um, it's not here yet. And then this week, you, you know, you just couldn't say that anymore because all the major universities closed down. Um, school districts have started to shut down uh you know kennedy Center you know uh just uh, is has announced that they're shutting down tomorrow Smithsonian and so forth so so it's 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 really now you know in front of us and uh, I, both me and my associates um you know there are nine of us in our practice uh was saying when I was doing supervision with them they said every single client uh is talking about it this uh-huh. week right so so it's 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 really it's really in front of us right now. I mean, you know, how long it's going to last, we don't know, but it's 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 coming to a halt right now. Yes,
1: and and what kind of um practices can can people? I, I'm I actually am a diagnosed person uh, per- with anxiety and OCD, so this is. This is my wheelhouse. But what are yeah. some kind of generalized practices, whether or not this is a diagnosis somebody has, but in this stressful time that that people can implement to kind of help them manage the onslaught of of stress, of worry, of catastrophic thinking?
6: Sure. sure. Um, so first, uh, first of all, I'd like to normalize, you know, you, you mentioned you, you suffer from it. Anxiety. Um, disorders and related disorders um, are actually the biggest group of disorders in our our country. It is one single biggest group of disorders. So it's incredibly common. It's about 18% of people at any given time suffer from anxiety related disorders. So it's um, these days, anxiety disorders excludes OCD and PTSD used to be all together. So, you know, when we put them all together, but you know that that's a that's a one fifth of a population. You know, so it's 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 really it's a really common thing, and it's probably the the most common um, thing we see in general. And so, of course, you know, during these times, people who um, are not normally anxious are going to get somewhat anxious, and people who have vulnerability for more serious anxiety or uh, predisposition. It, it's going to flare up. So what to do? Um, first thing would strike me, um, you know, when you were reading the concerns of, of your listeners was, you know, that often we end up um, in the middle of the day or even more often when we're trying to fall asleep at night, you know, thinking about all of these things at once, right? So you know, it's a worry. We define worry as a as a, for a repetitive sort of unproductive thinking process where you go down these rabbit holes, and what, what we call them, what if rabbit holes, right? Well, what, is, what if this happens, and if that happens, what what about that? And then. What about A and B and C and D? And and, and there is, you know, there is no basically end to it. And it's incredibly um, unproductive, you know, thinking protests, as, as I'm sure all of us realize it. And yet it's so hard to disengage from that. It is um, it's kind of in a way tempting and sucks us in. Right. And and yet, you know, if, if you were to ask people, well, you know, how productive that worry is. You know, was for you in the end. Um, you know, they, they can usually realize that you know it, it doesn't result in in actually any problems being solved, and that's something also very important to to distinguish when we start. You know, thinking about these um, uh, problems that are going to arise very realistically these days is you know uh, separate sort of in two columns the things that we can control even you know even to a small degree, and things that we really don't have any control over. And, uh, you know, the things that, and so that's the, you know, as soon as we start thinking about something, um, you know, think, okay, do I have any control over this? If the answer is yes, then you can kind of go down the path of, um, sort of almost very, sometimes very helpful, it's what's very helpful to do is go down the path of structured problem solving. Okay, so, you know, let me think about possible solutions, and then let's, you know, evaluate the solutions, think about the best one choose the best one and try to implement it and then monitor how, you know, how that works. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, flexibly move on to another possible solution. And, you know, we generally advise, you know, for people to to do that sort of once to go through that potentially with the input of their near and dear ones, and then, you know, just put a dot and not come back to that. And if you find yourself sort of going back and visiting, which a lot of us do, especially if we are prone to anxiety, you know, just kind of very gently bring yourself to the present moment to whatever you're doing in the present moment and say, okay, that, that has been sold for now. and it, I'm going to put it on a shelf and, you know, come back to whatever you're doing in the present moment. Um, and then, you know, the, the column of uh, things that we cannot control, have no control over, um, you know, realizing that that's, that's really just unproductive worry if we start going um, down that uh, thinking path and really Um, There's nothing to be gained from that. So, again, what to do to disengage yourself from these unproductive um, thinking patterns is a a, a huge help can be really grounding yourself in the present moment. You know, it's it basically comes down to what we call mindfulness these days. I, you know, and I have a a sort of love-hate relationship with mindfulness. It's incredibly, incredibly useful skill. And yet it has been, I think – overused and misused and, um, and, and sort of, uh, uh you know, put forth as a panacea for all ills, which of course it's not. However, it is, you know, if we, if we kind of uh, debunk it and, and, and just, you know, say it is, it is really bringing yourself to whatever is happening right in this moment. So getting out of your head and, uh, you know, usually I, I start with, you know, doing it with with my clients actually in the room, you know, getting into your body and saying a a very simple thing is, okay, let's focus on our senses. Let's describe five things that we can see right now or five green things that you can see right now. Let's touch just around us, wherever we are, let's touch four things. Let's listen to three things, you know, with whatever is, you know, nearest to you and then a further sound or a further sound. Then let's, um, that's a little harder sometimes Let's smell two things, but usually by the time you you know walk around the room or, or wherever you are, you can you can smell two things, and then finally putting something in your mouth, um, even even a glass of water, and describe a taste. So it's kind of you know it's been called sensing mindfulness exercise, and it, it, the idea is just grounding yourself in the present moment, in the experience of your senses, in here now and sensing is a, is a good thing because you know we we don't sense in the past or in the future we sense right now in this moment um so so that, that that's an exercise that i really really like a lot um and and then usually it's the, the first one sort of for me even to go to um and then our next one can be um you know uh what we call it's called diaphragmatic breathing it's a particular way it's a relaxation technique, a a particular way to breathe where you're actually trying to calm yourself down. You can do it mindfully, uh, but it is actually more than mindfulness. It's a relaxation technique where you're trying to engage parasympathetic system, which is opposite system from the sympathetic system, which is, you know, fight or flight system that, of course, gets activated during anxiety. So we're trying to kind of, you know, go opposite directions. So how we do that, it's it's very simple. It's, you know, uh, there, there are sort of different instructions out there. The one I like is, you know, putting one of your hands on your chest and one of your hands on your belly on your stomach, and then trying the best you can to move as much as possible your stomach hand and keep the chest hand as still as possible. You know, it's not good being perfectionist around this or anything else. So your chest hand is gonna still move a little bit, but really trying to, as I said, it's almost like you're um, you're blowing a balloon, right? And you're mm-hmm. still, a, a, you know, kind of a, a, a belly dancing, right? You're pushing that stomach. You want that hand to really go out and go in and really go out and go in. And another helpful thing about that is, you know, um, focus on counting slowly. Um, five seconds or or three, three seconds in and five seconds out so that your out breath, your exhale is actually a bit longer. So you go one, two, three, you're breathing on, stomach is way down, and then you're breathing out one, two, three, four, five. And this exhale has been shown to actually activate this calming, soothing parasympathetic system, so it's a, it's a quite effective strategy. Actually, you know, uh, decades ago. Um, in psychology labs, they would do these experiments where they would um, produce sort of uh, anxious states or almost like panic-like states uh, with clients. You can do that in different ways, have them inhale things or, you know, give them uh, a shot of something. Um, and, uh, and so they, they would create these very anxious states with students, uh, volunteer students, and then they would practice different relaxation techniques um, with them, and diaphragmatic breathing is one of the relaxation techniques, and it turned out that on average, for an average person, it takes about seven minutes of doing this to calm you from a quite anxious state. So, you know, it's not instantaneous uh, if you're really, really anxious, but it's very important and very, very, um, very, very useful. You know, it's a kind of a useful uh, a coping thing to have in your pocket, even knowing that you have that, I think sometimes helps, right? That, you know, seven minutes, you know, it's, it's, it's not that long. You can always go to the bathroom if you, you can excuse yourself and sort of just do that for seven minutes. So, so you know, uh, uh, there are these, you know, very kind of bodily-based um, uh, uh, methodologies, strategies that I think are very helpful as an antidote to the worry process um, that happens cognitively that happens in our head and that ends up producing, of course, the anxious, you know, state. Um, so, the, you know, there are many of these, but, you know, those are uh, two of my favorite ones. And I find that, you know, over over uh, more than 20 years of working as a, as a therapist, I found that, that for, you know, most people those work really well. So let's put it that way. Mm-hmm.
1: I, ha- I have a question about, you know, this hasn't happened yet at our time of recording, but uh, isolating and self-isolating can really lead to a lot of loneliness. And I'm curious about, you know, that that has an impact on people's mental health as well. Um, And and what do you think we can do? or, Or is that another important thing to focus on is making sure we don't feel we still are able to connect with others, even if we are physically isolated from people?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, connecting with others and having social support and, and, and belonging and connectedness is one of the primary human needs. Right. We are social animals. So um, and, you know, I'm going to actually connect it with the, with the previous conversation, you know, that in, in a sort of bigger picture, not just thinking about what you can do in the moment during these incredibly uncertain and naturally anxiety provoking times, you know, uh, uh Realizing that anxiety is going to show up—it's a natural emotion—show up, and what you, the best you can do is actually accept it as is. Accept that that is going to show up because it's a natural, you know, emotional state that shows up in dangerous situations, and this is a globally a pretty dangerous situation. Uh, and and focus on things in your life that bring you a sense of purpose and sense of meaning and connecting with others. Is one of those things, of course. You know, it can be sense of purpose, of meaning in your spiritual, religious life. It can be, you know, in your, um, in, in your creative ways. It can be again connecting to other people, and so that becomes tricky if we are, uh, you know, to do social distancing. You know, of course, it's, it's more, more draconian if we are in quarantine or if we are isolated. But even for most of us who are uh, instructed resolve to practice social distancing um, it becomes very hard to rely on that sense of um, meaning and purpose and also also something that you know uh, it, it becomes harder to um, have one of the main protective factors that usually protect us actually from being uh, from from getting you know psychologically very disturbed and which is which is other people so how do you do that Um it's tricky, but it's not impossible. Um, you know obviously th- this is the time when uh, our much maligned uh, technology uh, comes to the rescue and it and it's really about, intentionally deliberately using that technology, you know, it's technology can be used in so many ways. And, and, you know, I've written about, you know, also uh, um, technology and social media and psychological effects of that. And, and really what it comes down to is, you know, there's nothing inherently good or bad about technology. Technology just is, and there are products out there. It's how we use it. Right. And so if during these um, anxious times, We use it purely as an escape, uh, as as a numbing, emotionally numbing, uh, a strategy or escape from uh, our feelings of emotions. So we, you know, we binge watch Netflix or sort of again go mindlessly through, you know, silly YouTube videos and. um, or you know down the um, down the um, social media you know feed and so forth. We're going to do that to some extent, of course. But if we find ourselves doing that a lot and being just kind of sucked into it, that's usually not going to be the most productive way um, to to deal with uh, uh, with what we're facing right now, because it's going to be from it's going to come from avoidance of anxiety, avoidance of these negative states. So I'm going there to distract distract myself, right? And to to um to do something mindless so I can run away from how I'm feeling right now. Uh, if instead we approach very mindfully, very deliberately, very consciously technology and say, okay, so I'm gonna schedule, very much schedule um, you know, uh video, hopefully, you know, if if at all possible video chats with my friends, with especially my Friends and relatives who might be even more vulnerable than me, be you know, even compromised, or, or or elderly, or you know, who suffer from more severe mental disorders, or just even any mental disorders, you know, like really up the frequency of check-ins via text or social media, but also make sure to schedule uh, longer conversations, be it phone, be it video. I I think that video. Whenever possible, it is really much more useful because you can you can place uh, you know Skype, FaceTime, what WhatsApp video you know on the on the table or on the floor while you're playing with your kids while you're having dinner and it it's really mimics real life much better. I mean, my um, I'm an immigrant myself here, and and all my um, family of origin is kind of scattered around the world, so I've been you know using these kind of means to stay in touch with my family mm-hmm. for for decades, you know, and I found that to be just amazing, you know, putting a a Skype on while we're having dinner, and they might be having breakfast in Australia, and my little niece is there, you know, who's not going to sit and talk to you, of course, for a while, but, you know, she'll be running in and out, and she'll be waving to me, and sort of, we almost feel, oh, we're sitting here eating together, you know, and so it's it's possible. I know even from my, you know, personal experience, it's uh, definitely possible to, it's not the same as being right there but it's possible to feel connected it's possible to um to use these you know video technologies to 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 be part of each other's lives you know absolutely and and i think that's and that's important as is remembering you know uh, members of society in, and you know our friends and family who are particularly vulnerable and and checking in having you know if you're part of a faith based or other community group Organizing uh, yourselves to have like a body system so that, you know, people are checked on on a regular basis because um, I am concerned about uh, mental health effects of social distancing. Actually, um, I was I was sort of myself ruminating on it yesterday when I heard the term social distancing. It was interesting as a psychologist my my first reaction was like oh my god this this is going to be bad you know and and of course i read them a lot about it as i do i'm a scientist too and and i completely understand epidemiological reasons and you know it flattens the curve uh, curve of infections and makes total sense to me and i think we absolutely should be doing it and i am extremely concerned about um, not, you know, uh, psychologically about the, the not just vulnerable population of of elderly people and immunocompromised in terms of getting virus, but about vulnerable populations psychologically, which are people with pre-existing um, uh, uh, mental disorders or you know psychological problems or those who are susceptible to those um so i, I ended up writing an op-ed it's going to be actually published in, in 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 the chicago tribune about it so you know so hopefully you know it's 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 gonna get there out there the word you know that we really you know we we cannot forget that uh, those vulnerable members of our society in this moment because you know isolation is really, really detrimental to, to a lot of uh, lot of psychological disorders. Mm.
2: Well, this has been so great to talk to you, Dr. Ketsmanovich. Um We really appreciate your taking the time. And I know so much of what you said is going to be so helpful to so many of our listeners. So thank you.
6: Thank you so much for having me and stay healthy.
5: Thank, thank you. you.
2: You too.
1: So Finally, last but most certainly not least, we spoke with Alyssa Walker. Alyssa is a writer who is the urbanism editor at Curbed.com. She's also the co-host of LA Podcast, which is a really wonderful local podcast here in Los Angeles that covers local politics, and civic issues. And she wrote a really incredible uh, piece recently called Stay Home, 500,000 Homeless Americans Can't Follow Coronavirus Advice. So we spoke with her about the impact coronavirus is having on our unhoused population and vulnerable communities and what um, we can do to try to help them during this time.
2: Thank you, Alyssa, so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, you know, your article really highlights some issues that I think a lot of people just aren't thinking about right now. I'm here in
0: LA. You're in LA where it just started raining really hard (laughs) right before we started this interview. It's supposed to rain for a week. And you just have to take the mindset of, you know, what is already a very Tough day-to-day existence uh mm-hmm. when you don't have a permanent address. Um here in Los Angeles and the, the choices that you have. So right now, as it starts raining and you get word of this, you know, hopefully you are aware of, the, of this um, virus and that you, you know what the threats are to you as a person who has potentially underlying medical conditions, which is one of the at-risk groups. They tell you if you're on the street and you need a dry place to go, to go to one of these shelters or service centers. Well, those are going to be very crowded places, you know, our mayor just got in front of everybody today and said, you know, limit small gather. you know, make your gatherings smaller, limit large gatherings, don't get together with a lot of people, create six feet between you. Um, None of that can happen if you are going to get a meal, going to find a dry place to sleep. So we have, uh, you know, we've, we're all, we already have a crisis here in the city where we don't have enough housing for people who uh, need to find a place to live. But now we're going to have a problem where we need to keep people apart from each other in these types of living situations. And also the city needs to like work really hard just to find a places to find pe- places to put people when they actually do get sick, if they actually do get sick.
1: We have had listeners reach out to us asking, like, how, what can I do to help? I'm here in a privileged position where I have healthcare and I can self quarantine if need be. What can I be doing to help underserved populations? And I'm curious if there are any kind of um, solutions that are available now for people to help make an impact.
0: Well, one thing I heard that was, uh, again, I same, same thing, like I'm a privileged person, I have a, a house that I could be in right now. And I, what I didn't realize is how much that the panic buying that had occurred over the last uh, few weeks had really affected people who, one, have, um, you know, a budget where they might not have a lot of money to go stock up on essentials, but also things like hand sanitizer, water, toilet paper. These are things that people buy because they don't have access to maybe perhaps running water or soap or, or, you know, toilets. So you are actually probably clearing out the shelves um, that prevented someone else from getting just something they need for their day to day lives. So if you are one of the people who have some of those uh, items stockpiled in your house, there could be a place where you could donate it to a local homeless service provider. I've seen some of the ones in L.A., some of the groups that are out there doing outreach reach have posted exactly uh the the items that are on those empty shelves about uh, that they need for people so look for places you can donate things that you might have a little too much extra of at this point
1: that's a really good suggestion yeah and i know i have um another friend who kind of works in this field and suggested making sure that local food banks um you were donating like as we are you know if you were collecting food for yourself to have at home to also be sure to drop some off at your local food bank as well to make sure their shelves are stocked.
0: Um, One thing that That, you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Alyssa. I was going to say that's a great suggestion. And also, you know, you, you can think of people that you might not even know who are, food insecure, you know, they might not be, say, unhoused or they might not be be someone sleeping on the street, but you can also check with just neighbors around you to make sure that some people can't drive to the store, they can't stock up, they can only get you know what they can carry on their back home or in a you know a cart. So see if you you can make a trip for someone else on your block.
2: And then in terms of like longer term solutions, how should, again, people in privileged positions be trying to advocate for our unhoused neighbors? Um, And
0: what sorts of things should we be pushing government officials to do? Right. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable that it has taken this kind of situation for really our city leaders and state leaders and federal leaders, hopefully, to understand how close everyone is from being evicted, from being out on the streets, from, you know, have, have being pushed into a living situation that could be at this point, um, you know, a matter of life and death. We are seeing some things like uh, emergency uh, uh, bills being being put forth that would say stop all evictions, which I think mm. if you, you know, if you, if you can't go to your low wage job, if you're, you know, someone who just gets paid hourly, you get your shift cut you're all of a sudden, you know, you can't make rent, we have to make sure that we could hopefully across the country, come to an agreement where we're not going to be kicking people out of homes. And that would be, you know, getting more people out on the street where they're, you know, going to face this crisis. But I think one thing that I, I, I really want to hit home from one of the people I talked to, um, Theo Henderson, who has a really great podcast called We the Unhoused. Um, he lives in a park in Chinatown, a neighborhood here in LA. And he was like, you know, they complain, people complain. Because there's people sleeping on the street, or going to the bathroom in front of their house, or using you know, the park restrooms as a place to clean up. But then those same people are out there fighting against shelters and service centers being built mm. in their neighborhood. And this is—it it makes perfect sense, you know, to yeah. someone who uh, is is from that position. But uh, for people who are in privileged positions, who are homeowners, who are in these communities, fighting these. It just, I can't understand the logic because wouldn't you want that person to be in a safe environment where they are not going to be hurting themselves or, or, or endangering themselves or someone else? So I think like if we can think about it in a way that we need to all think of this problem as something that can be solved not just for this current not just for this current crisis that we're facing with coronavirus, but as a way to really underline the idea that. Everyone needs to get inside. Everyone needs to find a home. And we need to make sure that we're preventing other people from being out on the streets.
2: Yes. Alyssa, is there anything else that you think our listeners should know um, about the unhoused population and coronavirus?
0: I think one thing that I've seen in a lot of other stories, and hopefully I did not convey that through mine is this idea that homeless population uh, poses some kind of risk to Americans right now who are worried about getting this, this uh, virus, being infected by this virus. Um, there are not cases it, that I know of in the city of LA where someone who is in this community has this virus the people that we know that are getting sick and that are infecting other people are largely wealthy Americans who have traveled to other places and have brought it back here. So, and yes, there will be community spread. We know there are some cases now where people are getting it who don't have direct contact with other people. But if you look at something like, you know, who should we be, um, Unfairly stigmatizing, or perhaps you know, saying that you should stay away from them or they are dangerous for our, our society. It's definitely not the homeless community, it's like people who went on cruise ships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, if yeah. you want to talk about what the actual risk is to you, um, maybe focus on you know, those it's the social distancing thing is, is the great solution here, where we you know, we need to be thinking about um, how we're keeping ourselves safe, but also not. Unfairly uh, blaming other groups that really have nothing to do with this. That is such a
2: good point. Yeah, and such a good reminder. Yes. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks, Alyssa. I'm so happy to be on, and yeah. thank you for for bringing up these important issues.
1: Thank oh, you. thank you. We really appreciate it. Well, this is the end of our first ever coronavirus episode.
2: Yeah, and we just want to encourage you all to reach out to us, reach out to your friends, reach out to your family, stay connected. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing what you think of this episode too.
1: Yeah, and we really, really appreciate um, so many of you who wrote in asking us to talk about all different aspects of what is going on right now with coronavirus. And we are here to hear more thoughts um, on the gram. You know what we say, hit us up on the jeans. Yep. Hit us up on the gram. Yep. You know where to find us. Uh, and call our voicemail number, 781 390 Yeah. I have you. it memorized you finally do. after Yay. two and a half years. <laughs> um, so we're wishing everyone listening and not listening health and safety. And uh, we're thinking of you. Bye. Bye.